I know what you're thinking. The calendar says St. Valentine's Day, so that must be what Art's going to talk about today. Well, not exactly. This is for All the Saints podcast on February 14th, the feast day of Cyril and Methodius. The story of Cyril and Methodius is, well, a kind of complex one, and it comes out of an era of history that's not uh, well covered in most high school Western European history books. Uh, It talks of the very origins of the Holy Roman Empire and the development of the Slavic language and some other things that just kind of fall by the wayside when compared with the stories of knights and kings and crusades and things like that. James Kiefer notes that uh, Cyril, whose original name was Constantine, was born in about 827 and his brother Methodius uh, two years earlier. They were part of a noble family in Thessalonica, which is a a district in northern Greece and uh, probably somehow related to the the Thessalonians that that St. Paul writes to. They were trained and undertook a mission to the Arabs and then uh, became Cyril, a professor of philosophy at the Imperial School in Constantinople, and his brother Methodius, a governor of a district that had been settled uh, by Slavs. And they really, both of them for their time, uh, had really kind of long and full careers before they did uh, much of anything that would get them uh, ultimately uh, remembered as, as saints. In 863, uh, Prince Radoslav, the ruler of Great Moravia, an area that includes much of uh, what was later Czechoslovakia and now the Czech Republic, asked the emperor for missionaries. And he said that his greatest interest in, in bringing missionaries to his, to his kingdom was to teach his people their own language. And that's one of those interesting kind of... Uh, kind of quandaries that we don't tend to think about that you know in a in an era like today where you know there's there's in the United States at least you know 96 97% um literacy we don't tend to think too much about the difference between spoken languages and written languages um put in mind always when I talk about this of a of a instance that that my wife had uh, several several years back when she was teaching um, English is a second language in the in the suburbs where we lived, and she came home one night after working with one particular student and said, you know, she'd finally figured out what was what was going on with him and why he was having so much trouble learning uh, English in the way that she was teaching. She said she discovered that he didn't know how to read uh, Spanish, that though he knew how to speak Spanish, that his his literacy, his ability to, to manipulate sounds into letters um, was, was not even there in his native language. And so teaching him first to read and write was going to be an important step to ever getting him to learn to, uh, to, to read and write and speak in English. And so this was a part of the, uh, the mission that Cyril and his brother uh, had in the kingdom of, of the great Moravia, and they went at it uh, with all of the style that, uh, that one would imagine. And so they, they arrived there and realized that the, the language that was spoken was not just unknown uh, in, in any written form to the, to the people of the country, but that it also had no basis in written language to begin with. 
And so they started the arduous task of developing a written language, of defining an alphabet and a way of mapping and marking the, the different phonemes that, uh, that come with the language and of uh, developing grammars and structures and, and things like that. And so, you know, their very first... Um, task was to develop an alphabet. They started with the Greek alphabet, which is what they knew, but knowing that the, the language of the Slavs had more sounds in it than the, and different sounds than the language of the Greeks, they began to uh, develop new letters and to, to borrow in a certain respect from their, uh, from their biblical knowledge using oftentimes Hebrew characters uh, or, or kind of restylings of of different Greek letters and, and maybe even some Latin letters uh, to, to capture all of the sounds of this rich language. This, this alphabet that they developed is ultimately known as the Cyrillic alphabet uh, and is the basis for what we consider to be the Russian alphabet even today. Now, their work there uh, did not go unnoticed. It was certainly heralded uh, by many, and and even to this day, Cyril and Methodius are considered to be uh, really the not only the the great missionaries to the Slavs, but also the the very first figures in in Slavic literature and and uh, in in Slavic grammar and and things like that. As they moved throughout that area, they ultimately ran into um, some German uh, brothers, some German missionaries who were representatives of the Holy Roman Empire, and and in a, in a way that kind of makes you sad to think about it, I guess they uh, they had some conflict there, and and really found that that sharing the gospel in two different languages and and, and in two different cultures uh, was not going to work, not at least for the Germans that they were. Uh, that they were up against. And so Cyril and Methodius made their way to Rome in stages and met ultimately with uh, Pope Adrian. And um, this was uh, probably in about, oh, let's see, 868 or, or so. And they, um, unfortunately, at that time, Cyril was uh, was not very uh, well, and so he moved into a, a monastery there where he lived until he died. Um, but Methodius was sent back to the area along and north of the Black Sea with papal authority to begin to spread the the Western faith in the Slavic language, and that was uh, one of those things that is a you know an unknown and unnoticed well not unknown but a generally unnoticed piece of Roman Catholic history. That is to say that that while we tend to look at the uh, the kind of Latin only posture of the of the church during the high middle ages as being you know the very essence of the church and its its authority and its rigor and and all of those things and the very thing against which uh, figures like luther and and others railed to get the language in the vernacular of the people it was not always the case that in the ninth century at least for a season it seems that uh, later popes didn't have quite as much tolerance for uh, for Methodius and his work in Slavic uh, as as Pope Adrian did, but uh, at least for for that hour, uh, if you will, the uh, the the language of the people is what would make 
for the language of the church and that the church embraced a notion that it would only much later reclaim that speaking people in their own language and speaking to people in a language that they understand or in the case of Cyril and Methodius, the language that was invented for them to understand uh, is really the only way to get the, the, the message of the gospel across. So there's much more to the story of Methodius and his various excommunications and reinstatements and movement about the church. But I think uh, at this point, we certainly see the, uh, the, the takeaway from, uh, from this, that um, Cyril and Methodius lived tremendous lives of faith. They were men of great intellect and of, uh, of great intelligence and that they were always moving into new and different cultures in an attempt to, to share the gospel, not just uh, by telling stories and things like that, but providing for people uh, the tools that they needed. Cyril and Methodius are remembered really across the church, in the, in, certainly in the Eastern Orthodox Church and, and in my tradition, the, the Anglican Church, but also in the Roman Catholic Church. And they're remembered as, as folks who, who really um, bent their whole being to uh, spreading the gospel and to, and to um, really creating the situations in which the folks that they served could flourish. Back when I used to work in Episcopal schools, we used to, to think a lot about that and, and what was the role of kind of general education in the life of faith. Uh, Episcopal schools are, are, I hope, famous for, for not being, you know, they're certainly sectarian, but they're not particularly proselytizing. The goal of education in an Episcopal school is, is, uh, is education, is, is raising people up through, through knowledge and, and critical thinking abilities uh, rather than the indoctrination of people. And the way that we used to talk about that, and I think Cyril and Methodius would, would certainly agree, is that, that education at all, that, uh, that uh, again, that raising of people up is uh, a prime concern of God's, that uh, God desires not only our, our, our faith, our, um, our commitment to religious precepts, perhaps even our knowledge of, of the holy history of, of God's relationship with people, but God also desires that we know math and history and English and things like that. And so to, to imagine a pair of, of brothers whose, whose perhaps major gift to the church was the development of a language so that those who, who only knew spoken words could begin to write not only the liturgies and prayers of the faithful, but also their own histories, to, to share and transmit those stories in a, in a way that could preserve them for later generations. I think this was really the flourishing that these two uh, brothers had to offer. Now, I probably also need to mention at this point something about St. Valentine and, and why the church uh, no longer recognizes as a, as a feast day this St. Valentine's Day. Uh, St. Valentine's, unfortunately, um, is just too shadowy of a figure. He's sometimes styled as Valentine of Rome, and there are pious stories that talk about uh, his commitment to, to people who are in love or his commitment to charity, his commitment to... Um, you know, to bringing about good things in the lives of people. Unfortunately, these all uh, tend to be just pious myths. And uh, it's not even clear that, a, that a, I mean, there were certainly Christians named uh, Valentine during the 
times in which uh, it's thought that St. Valentine lived, but it's difficult to nail down whether or not any one of these uh, people was ultimately the, the, the origin of all of these stories. And so uh, as we've moved into the more contemporary times, certainly the, the Episcopal Church, but also the, the Catholic Church, and, and certainly the, um, the, the, the Eastern churches have have seen fit to to continue to to remember the memory of of Saint Valentine the the way in which um you know he his his tradition has influence i mean it's almost almost like a santa claus type of uh of image the way in which the the tradition more than the historical veracity of a of a person is what drives forward uh, hopefully good and compassionate acts among uh, among Christians, but but on the other hand, in terms of of celebrations and the types of examinations of history and of hagiography that we do, uh, the church has seen fit to say that today is an appropriate day for the the celebration of two Greek brothers who wrote a language and brought faith to a people who who were only just then learning to write it down. For All the Saints podcast is produced and edited by me, Art Callahan. For more information on today's celebration, back episodes, or to suggest future saints for our consideration, please check out our website, fatspodcast.com.